Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore his fruit. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Hi everyone, so good to be with you. Um, we've been in the book of James since the uh, beginning of January, and uh, James, for my money, is uh, one of the, the toughest uh, books in the New Testament uh, for a number of reasons, really. I've said it before, the book of James is like a shot of vodka. It's short and it's feisty. And we've called this kind of series of messages, we've called it Resilient as that's one of the key pastoral goals that James has in, in writing this letter, uh, which means God's leading of us to, to do this book in, in, in this time in history would, would prove timely because the, the weeks, months, even the years ahead of us will demand resilience. Resilience, the likes of which we perhaps haven't seen in a couple of generations. And that might lead us to ask the question, how resilient am I? I mean, am I really? What is the, the point beyond my breaking point? Uh, the, the Bible, believe it or not, would actually help us answer that question. Uh, the Bible would give a, a test, an equation to help us determine how truly resilient we are. Because the Bible would seem to suggest that one barometer for your resilience is your praying. Perhaps the best measure of true resilience is your ability to persevere in prayer. And that's why James speaks like he does. And he wants us to learn how to pray. And he, 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 he brings up this, this Old Testament hero, Elijah. And Elijah, he, he's an interesting guy. I dare say if you were to ask um, uh, young sort of Jewish boys who their favorite prophet was, the vast majority would probably say Elijah. 
Elijah was the, the red power ranger and with good cause. In only two chapters of the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 17 and 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, we see Elijah be all action. Uh, we see Elijah single-handedly take on the uh, prophets of Baal, 450 of them, false prophets. Uh, we see Elijah call down fire from heaven. Uh, we see Elijah pray for the rains to stop. We see Elijah pray for the rains to start. We see Elijah raise a single mum's son from the dead. Uh, furthermore, uh, Elijah would in two kings become the original no time to die, uh, being one of two people in biblical history not to physically die, but he would ride off into heaven in a chariot of fire, only to appear a few hundred years later, alive and well, to speak to the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 17, in the passage that the Bible refers to as the transfiguration about Jesus' impending death. Elijah was all action it, to the point where you ask the question kind of like was there anything mundane about this guy like there must have been something uh, what did Elijah have for breakfast well uh, 1 uh, Kings chapter 17 verse 6 says quote he had bread and meat for breakfast delivered to him by ravens by ravens so basically basically Elijah was Chuck Norris uh, which is why it's, it's so uh, surprising to hear James speak to us the way he does. Uh, uh, James says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Put simply, Elijah was a man just like us. And you think, well, hang on a second. <laughs> James, uh, Elijah like me? Uh, look, I'll be honest. For breakfast, I had Cocoa Pops uh, and there were no ravens around, no ravens in sight. And if I'm being really honest, if it's a kind of a bit of a confession time, um, I didn't even have the original kind of Cocoa, Cocoa Pops. I had the, uh, the, the little uh, variety, the, the, the Choco Rice. And, um, and yeah, there were definitely no ravens flying around. But, but James would insist, he, he, he would say, no, 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 you are like Elijah. And, and, and we only really get to understand what James is talking about when we delve a little deeper into the emotional life of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is what it says. It says this, Then Jezebel, who was the queen of the day, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Translation, Queen Jezebel has just said, Elijah, you're a dead man walking. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life. Then Elijah sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. When we look closer at Elijah's emotional life, we see that he really is a man just like us and a man just like us even in the last four or five weeks. Because what we see here is Elijah grow fearful at the murderous taunts of an, of an evil leader from an evil regime. Ultimately, what would, would happen 
It is Elijah at, the, at these taunts. His anxiety would flare up. Uh, he would have an anxiety attack and his anxiety would actually lead him to a, a place of great depression, severe depression. So severe, in fact, Elijah said to God, I don't want to live anymore. He didn't want to be alive. Elijah was a man just like us because Elijah was prone to discouragement, prone to feeling out of his depth, prone to feeling overwhelmed, prone to feeling exhausted, prone to feeling self-pity. No, Elijah, he wasn't a superhuman. He was an ordinary man with an extraordinary God. And James wants us to learn from this man, a brother of ours, and how he prayed. Because through his praying, Elijah would be the most influential man on planet Earth. And so James starts with this. He, he, start, he starts off trying to encourage us. He says this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. <laughs> the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And I guess perhaps you are here for the first time. You could kind of feel, yeah, well, maybe, but righteous I am not. Perhaps you imagine how you might describe yourself on like, a, I don't know, a dating app or, or website. You know, love to... Long walks on, along the beach, Brighton seafront, and righteous. It's not the way that kind of perhaps many of us would describe ourselves. Maybe you're not yet a Christian and, and you, you would feel like that. Or maybe you are, are a Christian and you would feel like that. Maybe, you, maybe you've got caught up in some lies. Maybe you, you started just thinking that I'm going to just, a little lie here, a little white lie if such a thing exists. And now the whole thing is just kind of blown right out of proportion. Or maybe for you, it's, it's you, you've started watching stuff on TV or online that's making you feel ashamed. You feel guilty afterwards. Maybe you feel that sense of being unclean on the inside, like you need a shower, but internally. Uh, perhaps, perhaps because of that, you thought, you know what? I, I pray, I pray of a righteous, but I'm not going to pray. Who, who am I? I can't pray. I can't possibly ask God for anything. Perhaps you've even said that, perhaps you've said that you're the worst Christian in the world. It says the prayer of a, a righteous person has great power and it's working. Well, I definitely would not be righteous enough. So there's a question here. How righteous does a person have to be to have their prayers answered. And let me answer that question uh, by saying this. In the New Testament, there is actually no thought that those that are called righteous are sinless. Not in this age. Uh, rather, the Bible presents those that are called righteous as those that have been forgiven by God. Those that have, have faith and have put their face decisively in the Lord Jesus Christ, being united to him, grafted to him, fused to him, with him being the only perfectly righteous person in history. Ultimately, through this faith in Jesus, God remembers your sins no more. Jesus takes your report card from you and gives you 
his report card. You hold in your hand Jesus's report card. And ultimately, that means you are totally forgiven, totally righteous. Meaning that the person that has been made righteous is put on a trajectory of learning how to live righteous. That's how it works. That process is called sanctification. It's a big Bible word. And if you're a Christian, you have already been auto-enrolled onto that course. And while it's true that there are some sins that can hinder your praying, some sins that will cause God to kind of think, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, We see some of those in this very book. We see in James chapter 1, James talk about um, the double-minded, basically not asking in faith. Uh, We see in James chapter 4, James talk about those that ask, but ask with the wrong motives so that they can spend it on their passions. In other places in the Bible, in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, uh, he addresses husbands that are not treating their wives well. He, he talks about husbands not living with their wives in an understanding way, and their prayers being before God hindered. And while there are other places I could mention, you need to hear this, that actually the overwhelming emphasis of the Bible and the beating heart of this passage is that if you're a Christian, you are not only allowed to ask, but you've been appointed to ask. You are authorised. To pray is the discharge of your righteousness. Jesus has purchased you to pray. And Jesus has purchased prayer for you. Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. John 15, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Luke 11, when you pray. Philippians 4, let your requests be made known to God. Proverbs 15, the Lord hears the prayer of the righteous. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, therefore I want the men everywhere to pray. Matthew chapter 7, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Luke chapter 18 verse 1, man ought always to pray and never give up. This very passage, James chapter 5, is anyone suffering, let him pray. I literally could go on. Why? Why does God want me to pray? Why? Is it, is it just God like wants this kind of religious thing just for the sake of it or makes, maybe makes him feel better, makes me feel better a little bit? It, 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 it's, 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 it's greater than that. It's bigger than that. <laughs> Because to pray, if you're a Christian, is actually who you are. The Bible talks about the the destiny of the believer. If you're a Christian, you, you have a destiny, an eternal destiny. And that is ultimately to rule, in, rule with Christ at the resurrection of the dead upon his second coming. When heaven comes down to earth, you will be alongside him ruling the whole thing, judging even the angels. That's how it works. That's how it works. And so Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 will put it like this. The increase of his government and of peace, there will be 
no end. Christ's, Christ's government is increasing. It's this increasing government. And one of the primary, the main way Christ's government increases is through you. It's through you, through your service to your spiritual constituency, through your sphere of influence. Because you have been appointed a member of Christ's parliament. More than that, Jesus has, has selected you to be a, a member of his cabinet. He views you as a key cog in his presiding administration. And with all the authority that you have been bestowed with, friend, you are to pray. You are to govern. Potato, potato, the same thing. Because to pray is to govern. To pray is to initiate change. To pray is to drive breakthrough. To pray, to pray is to seek justice as you uh, seek to wield your righteous in Christ authority increasingly on earth as you one day will perfectly in heaven. As you seek to bring matters continually before the, the house which is before heaven above. And I guess the only thing I can kind of try and compare it to is a bride getting ready for her wedding day. The day that, the big day, the day she's been looking forward to perhaps for her whole life. And before she tries on the dress kind of on the day for, for real, it's appropriate for her to try on the dress beforehand to, to get, get a feel for it, to, to, to kind of make a nip here or, or an amendment there. So too it is with your praying. Because through your praying, dear friend, God gets you to try on the crown. God says, no, go on, try it on. Try it on for size. God wants you to, he wants you to get used to it. He wants you to test this crown out. He wants you to grow into it. Through your praying, God hands you the scepter. He says, take it, feel how heavy it is, see how dazzling it is, test it out. Point it at the homeless person you walk past every day. Point it at your need for a new job. Point it at the Alpha course that's running right now in this church. Point it at the situation in Ukraine. Go on, test it out, says the Lord. Try it, get used to it, get comfortable with it, point at stuff. Because God, God is seeking, <laughs> he's seeking for you to wield the authority that you have in the name of Jesus Christ on earth, as you will one day perfectly in heaven. Friends, this is how God sees your praying. Don't through laziness, Abdicate your crown and scepter. Elijah didn't. And through praying, he ruled the affairs of a whole nation. And so we can learn from how this man, just like us, Elijah, prayed. And we see a number of things. We see him pray fervently. We see him pray frequently. We see him pray reverently. We see him pray intentionally. And we see him pray faithfully. We're not going to get through all of them. Let's see how far we get through as many as we can.
So the first one is this. This is what it says. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently. Growing up, one of my youngest, one of my earliest memories as a young boy was um, going to my grandmother's house. And I remember being on her sofa where I used to stay uh, sometimes and being woken up in the night about 3 a.m. in the morning and being unsettled uh, by the noise I could hear. I remember going to her room and um, asking if she was okay. And to my surprise, I, I found my grandmother with her hands clasped, clasped together like this on her knees, crying. Uh, I asked her if she was okay. I was, I was concerned. And I, just, I don't know that I'll forget what she said anytime soon. She said, oh, Toby, uh, sorry, uh, uh, sorry, I'm praying. I'm praying for my, I'm praying for my children. I'm praying for my grandchildren. Toby, I'm praying for you. Uh, I went back into the lounge knowing that she was okay, but even as I tried to get back to sleep, I remember her still crying out to God uh, with tears like she was in pain. Well, my grandmother was, wasn't in pain. She just knew how to pray. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently, fervently. My grandma got this word. And, and I guess it's, to be honest, perhaps a little bit unfair uh, because my grandma is, was a Nigerian mother. Uh, and growing up in a Nigerian home, as I did, um, if Nigerian mothers know one word, it is this word, fervent. And uh, I kind of, uh, I do kind of kid, but uh, I make a serious point because truly there are some cultures that just get this, get fervent prayer. <laughs> some cultures, even now, if I, if I was in a Nigerian church right now, um, you guys would be praying for me to stop preaching so that you can start praying some more. And I do kind of have that effect on people. People often pray for me to stop preaching, um, but I've still got 10 minutes left. I'm going to continue. But I, 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 I kid, right? But genuinely, some cultures get this. Perhaps I could put it like this. The English culture, the British culture, is fairly famous for saying sorry. Some say that um, the British say sorry more than anyone from any other nation. Well, I, I, I think that the Nigerian people say sorry less than anyone from any other nation. <laughs> and I reckon there's something in that. I reckon there's something important in that. Because to pray fervently, you'd need to kind of lose this kind of British sense of politeness just for the period, at least, that you're praying. This kind of sense to not, wanting, not want to impose, not want to insist, not want to inconvenience. Uh, Jesus told parables that highlighted this trait, which isn't a typically, God bless you if you are, British middle class trait. Uh, Jesus told two parables, not just one, but two. One was the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, where this woman would just keep on, it says day and night, asking for, uh, for justice from an evil judge. She, she asked, not necessarily politely, we would say, but fervently, and she gets rewarded. 
Uh, Jesus in, in, in Luke uh, chapter 11 would talk about a man who uh, needs bread. <laughs> and at midnight, he starts to rather unpolitely in one sense, but very fervently asking for bread at midnight, banging on his friend's door. Give me some bread. I need three loaves of bread, he says. And he's rewarded for it. The behavior of these two people, we might say, well, that's kind of, that's kind of not very polite. That's kind of, uh, kind of imposing yourself, insisting in that way. That, that's not very good. Well, the Bible says that God absolutely loves it. He absolutely loves when people behave like this before him in prayer. And friends, the Bible would say that this is normal prayer behavior. This isn't kind of like the extremes. We're not talking about the extremities here. We're talking about bread and butter, 101, praying. That, that, that's the, how the Bible describes this. P.T. Forsyth says this, lose the importunity of prayer. Lose the real conflict of will and will. Lose the habit of wrestling and the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God in friendly talk. And as precious as that is, you tend to lose the reality of prayer. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently. And now for some balance. <laughs> this will save me getting a few emails next week. To pray fervently, or to pray impolitely, as I said, fervently is the biblical word, doesn't mean to pray irreverently. Don't pray to God like he owes you rent. In fact, I'll tell you what God owes you. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. And if you value your life, you won't ask God for what you deserve. No, 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 no. You, you ask faithfully. You ask fervently. You ask repeatedly, frequently. But you always ask reverently. And we see Elijah in our passage display this wonderful reverence. This is what it says. It says, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Get this. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Do you pray like this? At least sometimes. This speaks of humility. It speaks of dependency. It speaks of urgency. And let me say this, it's not all about just a posture. It's not about kind of assume the posture and, and God kind of has to bless you and has to answer your prayer. No, posture is, an, is, a, is a, a reverence rather, is a posture of the heart. God's looking at your heart. But it needs to be said, humans, <laughs> you and I, when we feel things in our heart, there tends to be an external display or manifestation. It's a human thing to do. If we find something funny, we tend to laugh. If we find something surprising, we tend to raise our eyebrows. If we find something anger-inducing, we tend to raise our voice or speak quicker. If we find something fearful, we may even tremble. Uh, to, 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 to bow down in prayer in this way is not kind of some weird religious thing. It's a very human thing. It's very, it, we do it all the time. 
The Bible says that Jesus was heard because of his reverence. Uh, the reverent posture, heart-wise and physically, I tell you, is the most potent posture on planet Earth. Far more potent than, a, than, a, than an archer with his uh, bow drawn. Far more potent than a warrior with his sword drawn. Far more potent than, than, than a, a sniper with a red dot locked on. Far more potent than a boxer with his arms ready to fight. Why? Because the ear of heaven is turned towards the, the reverence of your heart and the earnestness of your request. Let me say this. If you really desire the thing you say you want, you'll do this. You will, if you really do. The truth is, and I'll be frank, if you're not willing to be fervent or disposed to be reverent, the thing that you say that you need or that you say that you want, you don't really need, you don't really want. You don't. <laughs> the Bible in, in, in Proverbs talks about the sluggard. Uh, we might use the word the, 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 the slothful or the lazy. This is what it says. It says the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. It's not, it's not that the sluggard, it's not that the sluggard doesn't have desires or needs or wants. No, it says he craves the things that he desires and needs and wants. Certainly that the sluggard is too lazy to be fervent and too proud to be reverent. Elijah bowed himself down on the earth, put his face between his knees. Friends, why don't you pray like this? Are you, are you too, have you too much dignity? Have you heard how Jesus on occasion prayed? Matthew chapter 26, and Jesus going a little further, fell on his face, fell on his face. Have you more dignity than him? Would you rather keep your, your pride and keep your problem? I tell you, reverence is a posture of the heart. It's not about an external display. But if, <laughs> let me say this, the, the posture, adopting the posture has the power to train the heart. Elijah prayed reverently. Elijah also prayed frequently, frequently. Elijah prays that the rain might stop. He prays that the rain might start. He prays for a widow's son to be raised from the dead. He prays for fire to come down from heaven. Elijah prays when he is anxious, prays when he is depressed, prays when he is fearful, prays when he is angry. Elijah would pray three times for the single mum's son to be raised from the dead. That would prove to be training for when Elijah would pray seven times for the rains to come. Elijah was a man characterized by prayer. I mean, he prayed seven times for the rain to come. That means Elijah prayed again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And you may say, well, Toby, I've prayed more than seven times for the thing that I've been, I've been asking God for, and he, he still hasn't given it to me. And, and I would say to that, well, the number seven in the Bible is rarely ever just the number seven. It, it is the number seven, but it's symbolic of something. It's symbolic of 
God's number of completion. We see this right from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis right through to the very end. Surely this is trying to teach us that you are to pray the number of times required for the thing to be completed. Elijah prayed and prayed until the job was done. Whether that's seven times, whether that's 70 times, seven times. Friends, do you pray frequently? Do you pray like this about your health issue? Do you pray like this about your desire to purchase a property? Do you pray like this about your depression? Do you pray like this for your anxiety? Do you pray like this about your eating disorder? Do you pray like this about the porn addiction? Do you pray like this for your anger issues? Do you pray like this for your church? Elijah was dogged. He refused to give up. He said to God, no, God, I'm not going to stop asking you. I'm going to ask and ask and ask until you move in power. I'm going to ask you as many times as it takes. I'm going to stay here every morning, day after day, month after month. I am going to ask you, God. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Friends, if you don't have that attitude about the big stuff, you may already have lost because friends, I tell you this, praying, praying is not like you're going to a restaurant and ordering a menu. You don't ask for something once and then kind of expect God the waiter to come back. And if he doesn't come back in time and your soup is cold, you moan, you groan and you complain. Friend, if that's where you're at, you may need to rethink the whole way you view praying. I'll tell you this, because prayer, put simply, is two things. Prayer is a, a spa and prayer is a spa. Prayer is an SPA spa. A prayer is a spa where you can go and receive from God, where you speak back to God all of his goodness to you, where you count your blessings, you marinate in the, the power of the gospel and all the things you've received through faith in Jesus Christ. You pray back to him. Prayer is really the spa that really massages your shoulders and helps you and revives you. But as much as praying is a, a spa that can heal, soothe and release tension, uh, praying is also a spa, an S-P-A-R spa. The kind of things that boxers do after training, when they go at each other. The definition is this, it says this, making the motions of boxing without landing heavy blows as a form of training. I tell you what, prayer, in prayer, you throw punches. You need to understand that. You go into prayer ready to, to fight, to wrestle God. And yeah, you'll take some hits. You'll get the odd black eye. You'll get the odd bus lip. You'll get the odd ringing in your ears. Boom. Setback. Pow. Disappointment. Smack, fell through. Isn't it interesting how the language we might use for this as well? I don't know if you've ever been praying and praying for something and it's not happened. Perhaps even the opposite has happened. And you, perhaps you've said to yourself these words, it just feels like I've been punched in the stomach. You really are sparring with God when you pray. Elijah prayed fervently and he prayed frequently. We'll have time for one more. Elijah 
um, prayed intentionally. This is what it says. It says, lastly, uh, Elijah went up to the top of the Mount Carmel. You don't find yourself at the top of a mountain without having planned to be at the top of a mountain. <laughs> Elijah would have set aside time. He would have, uh, he would have uh, uh, planned in his diary to walk to the top of a mountain to pray with God. And, and while it's good to be one of these people that can sort of uh, genuinely, genuinely good to be one of these people that talk to God through your day, while that's a good habit certainly to cultivate, uh, Jesus' exhortation in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 at least, is to, to, to be more intentional actually, to, to go to your room when you pray and shut the door, he says. Go to your room and shut the door to routinely set aside a, a focused time to make space as best as you can away from others. Meaning that whether that for you is going to your room and shutting the door, or whether for you that is going to the top of Mount Carmel to pray, you need to seek to be intentional to pray. Otherwise, you simply won't pray. And therefore, we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2, chapter, verse 12. Uh, we must plan to pray. And, and we, all of us, we are planners. Yes, some of us are better planners than others, but it's a human trait to plan. It just is, period. Why? Because we plan our weekends. We plan our holidays. You, perhaps you plan your Instagram posts. You plan your fantasy football teams. Friends, we must plan to pray. We must be like Elijah, who is like Jesus. We must seek in prayer to be intentional with it. Why? Well, because Jesus, he was intentional with you. Jesus is the, the, the great prayer. He, he prayed for you a long time ago. And, and Jesus is, the Bible uses the word interceding for you, which means he's praying for you all the time, often, day after day, by name. He's doing that even now as we speak mysteriously for you. But the Bible also says Jesus prayed for you a long time ago. We see this in Psalm 2 verse, excuse me, Psalm 2 verse 8, where the father speaks to the son. God the Father says to his son, ask of me, pray to me, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Uh, before the world was created, before the angels were formed, God the Father said to his son, ask of me, ask me for anything you want. And do you know what Jesus asked for in that conversation in eternity past trillions of years ago? I mean, time isn't even a con it doesn't even exist in this time. Do you know what Jesus asked for? He asked for you. He asked for you by name, dear friend. He chose you. You're not one of many. You're the one he asked for. Well, that, that's nice to think, isn't it? You know, Jesus, Jesus is like that. But where, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, we see Jesus refer to this in John chapter 15, where he says, you did not choose me. I chose you. I chose you. I did. He's referring to this time in eternity past. Jesus would then leave his throne in heaven to come down to those that he asked for, those that the Father gave to him.
And to do so, he would become a man just like us, a man with a nature like ours, knowing weakness, knowing pressures, knowing a dark night of the soul greater than that Elijah knew, yet all the way through living on your behalf fervently, living on your behalf faithfully, living on your behalf reverently and praying on your behalf frequently. Jesus would be crucified for holding your report card in his hand. He would give you his report card, his parents' evening report. He, 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 he takes away your record of prayerlessness and replaces that with prayers with great power in their working. Why? Why, why would Jesus do this? Why is Jesus calling you out right now? Why is he trying to speak to you, reaching out to you? Well, why does Jesus choose any of his disciples? We see the answer in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. And he appointed 12, who he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. So that they might be with him. Why did Jesus choose you? So that you might be with him. Now and forever and ever and ever. What can I say? He likes you. He likes you very much. Father, I just pray. I thank you so much for uh, Elijah's example, but more importantly, I thank you for Jesus' example, the, the, the great prayer, the great asker, um, who would even ask for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you've made us righteous. You've taken away our guilt. You've taken away our shame. Oh, Lord Jesus, it's amazing <laughs> that you look at us and treat us with your report card. Father God, you do that. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that through Elijah's example, through the words of James, there would be raised up right now a praying people that will cry out to God time after time and see wonderful answers to prayer. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.